Good, good evening, you guys. Welcome to church. Hi, Annie. How are you? Good. Did you run in the marathon today? Did anybody run in the marathon today? Huh? No, no, no. Here's what I want to say to you, Nicole, is that we stood on the opposite side of the track from you and Tay-Tay, and every time you guys were cheering on runners, we go, way to go, Nicole. Not once did you look over and thank us for cheering you on. And that's a joke. Oh, yeah, church is family. Yeah, we'll see about that. Okay. <clears throat> this is your first time here. We are a community that is rooted in the practice of Jesus. Um, 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 I learned a magic trick this week. I learned a magic trick this week. I need a volunteer so I can come up and show you. Thanks. Okay. This has a success rate of about 1 in 10 right now. So it still is like, it's not fully polished. You sit right there. Now, Maggie. Um, okay. No, 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 no. There's things that, no. Now, this, this, is, uh, this is what? A penny. It's a penny. It's a normal penny, right? And what is this? That's a desk. Okay, so desk from the 60s, maybe, somewhere in that, we don't know for sure. What I'm going to do for you, and I don't want you to be overwhelmed, alarmed. I don't want you to freak out, okay? Are you going to make it disappear? I'm not just going to make it disappear. I'm going to send this through the table. I know. I did this for my children the other day. I know you heard a lot of Mobergs that were involved in the kids' lives just now from Martha, and you're wondering, does Matt ever hang out with his kids? I'll let you know that I do magic tricks with my kids. Last Tuesday, I did once. It did, that time. So I have tremors in my hands. Don't let that be a, a distraction for me either, okay? I just need you to focus on the penny. The penny's going to go through the table. How I'm going to do it is I'm going to hit it with this thing three times. This is a magic glass. You, it might look like standard glassware to you. This is a magic glass. It's going to pound this thing three times. It's going to go through. Now, from what I've learned on YouTube from magicians is that you cannot actually, like, just unveil. It can't, I can't just put out my tricks. I have to cover it up. So I'm going to cover it up. Is that okay with you? Of course it is. You have no say in the matter. I'm going to cover this up right now. Now I'm going to hit this thing three times. This is going to go through. Okay. Are you worried at all? Okay. John, enough, please. That's one. Okay. So that's one. Nothing happened quite yet. Okay. That's two. Okay, so now before I hit it the third time, I need you to pick up the penny and just feel, is it like a regular thing? Is it normal? Is there anything that's weird about it whatsoever? Nope, it's pretty normal. Okay, now put it back down. Okay. I'm going to hit it through here. Okay. You watching it? Yep. One. Yep. I really want this to work for you. Two. <laughs> the great Matt Moberg, everybody! The penny stayed, but the cup fell through! How did he do it? Everybody give Megan Keller a round of applause. Sorry about that. I'm so sorry. Come back to church. We're not usually like this, I promise. Uh, it took me about five minutes to learn that trick. It's a really complicated one. And um, why am I doing that again? Why did I do that? Oh, okay. Here's what I learned about magic. Well, not what I learned about magic. But it's interesting about how Maggie responded to that magic right there because it's similar to how I've seen other people respond. When you do a magic trick, especially one at like professional caliber level like that one right there, 
people tend to, their gut response to it is to laugh. Have you noticed that? Whether it's on like Netflix magic shows or Chris Angel, whatever it is. When you do a magic trick, it's not like full-blown panic, paranoia, meltdown. People tend to laugh. When I did it for my kids, they didn't laugh. They were like, what just happened? The laws of physics, as we understand it, no longer apply to our lives. Like anything is possible now. When I did it to Lauren, she laughed. When I did it to Ben, he laughed. But when I did it again and again to Wyatt and to Sawyer, neither of them laughed. Their jaws were on the floor. And I started to think a lot this week about why that is. Why is it that kids have this capacity to see something like that and actually believe that it's magic? And we have this ability where we see something like that and we recognize that it's a trick. What is it that we've lost in that right there? Because my kids were dazzled, but when we encounter something like that, we know that we've been duped. And the longer that I thought about it, the one of the conclusions that I maybe prematurely am arriving at, but I'm going to go there anyways, is that could it have something to do with the fact that my kids are believers, but adults, we have beliefs. And do you see the difference between the two? One is a hunger open, hungry openness to whatever is to come next, a fascination prior to figuring anything out. And the other is more protective, defensive. It's on guard. And so there is no magic right there. And so when we laugh, it's not because we're dazzled. It's because we know that we've been duped. And when you think about it like that, laughter sounds a little bit like a lament. It's this guttural, aching response of, like, we no longer can see the magic like we once could. My kids, when they see that, that makes them think about things like, is Neverland a real place? Do the laws of physics, gravity, do they actually stand up? Everything is changed. When we see something like that, nothing can change. We look forward to, we laugh when magicians can trick us because we know that there's nothing they can do that can actually transform us. We have our beliefs. And they keep us from seeing the beauty that is out there that's catching us by surprise the whole time. Could it be that inside of something like that, like I said, maybe I'm arriving at these conclusions prematurely, but I just couldn't help but wonder this week when I thought about this, and I thought about like my budding magician career, because I do think I have a lot of promise and potential inside of it, is that could it be that like that longing for wonder, that aching for awe, that, that desire to be cracked wide open and believe in something as beautiful and big as Neverland being real, as being able to anything being possible, could that have something to do with when Jesus says that you all need to go back to being like you were when you were a kid? When you looked at finite things and saw that they were crammed with the infinite. When you looked at the mundane and you recognized that it was pregnant with magic. When nothing was normal because everything could be anything. I think about this almost every time I put my kids to bed and they ask me to read a book. Because when they ask me to read a book, they usually grab a book that they want to be read. And that book is usually so boring. It's like about construction machines. It's about caterpillars. It's about the difference between alligators and crocodiles. And I want like Hogwarts, Narnia. Let's get something at least like exciting. I want a magical story. But they're fine with the story because there's enough magic in that for them. They don't need anything more than that. G.K. Chesterton, he used to say that, a seven-year-old gets excited when they open a door and they find a dragon on the other side, but a three-year-old gets excited when you just open the door. Adults, we need like romantic stories, but the kids, they just need regular stories because all stories are romantic. 
in this series on um, what lies beneath. We're identifying eight uh, postures, aspirations, attributes of healthy people. Things that healthy people do take on, embody, experience, and express. And one of these things is the desire and the prioritizing of beauty and the belief that there is more than the material world is telling us is here. There's more. There's wonder. There are things that we ought to get lost inside of. There are things that we ought to be captivated by. There is magic out there in the world. That word magic, it's rooted in this old Persian word. I'm going to butcher the pronouncement, but you don't know any better. So I think it's like magus or magois. It can't be magois. Nobody's saying magois out loud very often. But it was something along those lines. Rooted in like the priestly class of Zoroastrianism. Anybody know Zoroastrianism? Okay, so don't call me out if I say anything wrong. But this is, the, this is thousands of years prior to, and in the priestly class of Zoroastrian, the priests were actually known as the Magi. Sound familiar? The Magi were stargazers. The Magi were interested in life, in beauty, in the expansion of life. John Gagliardi died last night, and his wife put out this statement. And one of the things that she said last night, uh, this morning, was, uh, honor John's life by being more interested than interesting. Interested people are very interesting. The Magi were very interesting people. By day, they would talk about all the things that they saw at night all of the wonders that they saw in the skies, the stars, the stories, Orion's belt, the blinking of a shooting star, the comets. What did it all mean? It all begged questions. It was this beauty that was overwhelming, and it came with no explanation attached. All you could do was stop and stare and perceive it. You couldn't do anything. It had no utilitarian value attached to it. It was just beautiful. And they gave their lives to studying these stars, and then one night, a star came across their skies like they had never seen before. This star sparkled more than all the other stars. This star stretched wider than all the other stars. It glared deeper than all the other stars. This star was set apart. And as we know from the story, they did the only thing that you could do in a moment like that. You hear the invitation that beauty is calling out to you. You hear the invitation that magic is giving you, and you start to move. So in Matthew 2, if I can get my pieces together up here. In Matthew 2, we have the Christmas story. And because it's about two degrees outside, we're going to go into Christmas story right now. In Matthew 2, we have the account of the Magi. And it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. We saw his star. It's important to note that because the text goes out of its way to tell us that these boys come from the east, we know that they didn't come for the baby. Israelites, by and large, historians will lead us to believe at least, had some kind of messianic longing expectation. At some point in time, Rome was going to be pushed on because a liberator was coming. There was a Messiah that was en route. There was somebody who would come and be a balm for all of the wounds and all of the harm. Healing was on its way. There was somebody who would embody the word of God in a beautiful and anointed way like we have not seen before. But that was the expectations of the Israelites, not the expectations of those in the east. 
They were not anxiously expecting salvation. They were adoring the stars. They didn't come searching for, for the baby. They came searching for beauty. And I've been thinking about that every day this past week. When I think about like these attributes of healthy people and what it actually looks like to take on a healthy life. And I thought about how the first people to come and encounter the Christ, they first stepped out looking for beauty. They first allowed their spirits to be shaken and stirred, moved to tears because of how gorgeous it was. And then they started to move closer to see what it is all about. And somewhere along the way, they asked the question, they heard somebody talking about a baby beneath a star, and they started to collect it and piece it together, and they started to come closer and closer to the source of the magic. But they first set out not looking for a baby. They first set out because they were lost in that beauty. When's the last time you have let yourself get lost in beauty? Get curious about something that actually compels you. Be moved by something like that. One of my favorite places in our city is the Hennepin County Library downtown. It's four floors of, it's, it's just be, I love it. It's a beautiful building, architecture alone, but it has everything you could want. It's got all of the wisdom of the world. It has all of the wounds. It has these ancient um, artifacts, ancient paintings. It's got ancient like city data, data, data. It's, it has everything you could possibly want. And so I love it there. It's magical there for me. I could stay there and lose track of time very easily, and I often do. Tragically, what I noticed this past week when I was there is that while I do go there and I do get lost in the wonder, most people do not. Most of these books, these artifacts, these articles, these maps, they go untouched. They collect dust on the shelves for years. In fact, I would wager that any, any day that you go in, the, most of the bodies that are in that building that are filling up the library space are usually the bodies of homeless who are not there for the wonder, but they're there for warmth, a, a place to lay their head, a place to catch a break from the world a place to find their feet once again. They're not there for the wonder. They're there for the warmth. They're not there for the books. They're there for the building. And as I watched this this past week, I recognized that this is really a universal predicament because I know people with six-figure salaries that seem to be struggling with the exact same thing. They may or may not ever enter into that building. They may know nothing about the library, but they are walking through a world of beauty and they never stop to see it because all they're trying to do is find a place to just get warm. Uh, all they're trying to do is find a place to get their next meal, to make ends meet. And in all of that, like hustle and the bustle and the grind, the magic goes missing. We're never dazzled. We don't, we don't make the space for the beauty. It doesn't fall on our to-do list. And I get it. I, I totally understand it. We have obligations, deadlines to meet, groceries to get. We have kids that we need to care for. We have work that needs to get done. When you look about at your to-do list that hangs over your head every week, not very often do you see something on there that says something like, you need to go and stare at a Rembrandt self-portrait for an hour. Right? Not very often do you see on there saying, like, well, you need to pour a glass of wine and just listen to the new Grey Shot album. You need to just go and stare at beautiful, beautiful things, nature. 
To paraphrase Auden, beauty is a waste. It doesn't do anything. There's no utilitarian value in it. And so especially those of us in the West, we struggle to really prioritize it. Why would we prioritize something that doesn't produce anything? It feels like such a waste. That is until we start walking. That is until we start moving and getting closer. Einstein always talked about how he was no more talented or gifted than anybody else on his street. He was just born with a holy sense of curiosity. He let himself be wowed, and then he led him to ask more questions. But then what? I heard another writer say that we are always only about two or three questions away from something fascinating and formative. If we only had the capacity and the patience to be curious and to linger in the beauty and the wonder, not knowing what it's going to produce for us at first. The wise men, they went out looking for beauty, but they weren't looking for babies. Francis Bacon, he says this about beauty, and it's one of my favorite quotes. Beauty itself is but the sensible image of the infinite. In other words, the beauty always ends up leading you to the baby. Lovely things always end up leading you to the lover. Good gifts are always going to bring you closer to the good giver. And so in a lot of ways, what beauty does, the functionality of beauty is that it helps us wake up to see things as they actually are. We move so quick, the facade is always built, it's always constructed, but what beauty does is it wakes you up to say there's more here that you don't see. Stop and stare. But it takes courage to let beauty lead you to where you need to go, to follow it into the unknown. That's why beauty is not the same thing as pretty. When we think about Jesus is living a beautiful life, Let's be clear about what kind of beauty we're talking about. Because in the art community, what they would call that beauty is transgressive art. It offends our senses before it opens up our spirits. Jesus is offensive when he first strikes those who are around him. Upon first glance at the life of Jesus, we didn't know that it was beautiful to sit down and have meals with prostitutes. We didn't know that it was beautiful to touch the scabby skin of lepers. We didn't know that it was beautiful to have no place to lay your head. We didn't know that it was beautiful to give your life away. It's a transgressive art. Jesus is a transgressive artist. Beauty is not the same thing as pretty because beauty bewildered us before it actually leads us into who we are to be. And sometimes I just don't think we can hack it especially those of us who have a lot of beliefs, not just the basic ones, the physical laws of the universe and how this whole thing is run, but also our own theological beliefs. How often have we let our beliefs sabotage beauty and where it's pulling us forward? You'll notice that in the story right after the wise men walk, they have somebody that doesn't want to follow. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. That word for disturbed there is tarasso. 
And what it means is an agitation, or it means to have all of your parts move to and fro. We don't like when our parts start to move to and fro, when sta stability starts to shake. When we start to feel the chaos of, I don't know what I believe anymore. That's why there's a lot of Christians who have learning phobias. We can't read them because if we're convinced by them, then what happens? So we get rid of all things like that. We build boxes that we can live in that are safe and sound, built with certainty, built with absolutes. But we are finite creatures talking about infinite things. And so it's a, it's a denial of reality to do so, and yet we end up committing to, committed to doing so anyways. Isn't it interesting that Herod doesn't just get, try to get rid of one baby, he tries to get rid of all babies. It's not just that one baby that's a threat, it's anything like that, that smells like that, looks like that, thinks like that, that counters my kind of power, the paradigm that I'm trying to establish in the world, it needs to go. Beauty, it will often pull you outside of your beliefs into something better, but do you have the courage to actually go? Or will you let your beliefs sabotage the beauty? Lauren's grandpa died last week. Uh, complications of dementia. He was 91 years old and beautiful man, beautiful life. And he had a few wishes, desires expressed for what to do with his body now that he was gone. And one of them is he wanted to be cremated, which is beautiful. Uncle of Lawrence did not think so. Uncle of Lawrence is, is a fundamentalist Baptist from down south and was convinced that God would not be psyched if a body wasn't buried but was cremated instead. And so instead of providing this beautiful service to her grandpa who passed because of a belief, we said, actually, he's wrong. We figured out on how this is supposed to play out. Fast forward to the funeral. Grandpa Otto had another request. He'd like for Lauren and her sister to sing at his funeral. Which is beautiful. Lauren's got a great voice. Love you, Lauren. Problem is, Lauren's not Catholic. And her music didn't just fit into the Catholic liturgy of that day. And so that was declined as well. And I've been thinking about these things. I know these are small in some ways, but it's amazing to me how religious people, how we, we are religious people. If you call yourself a Christian, you root yourself inside of this religious story that is founded upon the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. How we tend to take big and beautiful things and make them small and weird. We have this adolescent arrogance where we can have the corner market on truth. When Paul comes out and says that nobody knows the truth, there is a truth out there. But we're all seeing it through a glass dimly lit and so walk humbly. You don't know the full story. You don't have the full picture. So you hold your life loosely. Yes, you build beliefs because we need containers. We need capacity to know how we are to be formed, how we're supposed to move in this story. But if beauty comes along and asks you to follow, pack up your things and go. Where is beauty leading you? Where is beauty calling you? And do you have the courage to go? So often... Doctrine and dogma, they are cheap answers to very expensive questions. And we have a short-term memory with how we come about these things. Rob Bell does a great job talking about this. He talks about how it's amazing how whenever there's somebody who's coming up and saying there's a new thing that the Spirit is doing in the land, 
God is pulling us into a new place. Defenders of doctrine and dogma, they say that's not possible. It is not possible. Do we forget so quickly that all doctrine was once heresy? All doctrine, all dogma, it was preceded by somebody running into something that they could not explain. They took it back home and they put some words on it. And so we had some kind of articulation and idea of what this now means. But Jesus says in John 16 that the spirit, that he, Jesus says in John 16 that, that he didn't tell us everything that could be said. He left a lot of words, a lot of wisdom, a lot of truth in his pockets. He didn't lay it all out there. But he said there will come a time where the spirit will lead you forward. Won't be an instant download. Won't be a sit down and write down all these factual realities. Jesus says the spirit will lead you. It's a process. It's a story. Look for the beauty to take you where you need to go. Look for beautiful things to continue to wake you up, to pull you closer to the truth. And don't be so in defense of your truth that you miss the truth that God's trying to transform you with. Healthy people prioritize and pursue beauty. Because they know that it always leads to a baby. They know that it always leads to the Christ, the reality of the world. I, um, when I was uh, teaching at a church a couple of weeks ago, not this one, we had this moment. It's more liturgical service. Um, but they do this thing where it's after you teach, you then go down on the floor and you say, if anybody wants prayer, please come forward. And you proceed to anoint with, with oil. Never done that before. So mildly overwhelming and scary. But I thought, uh, beautiful. That's a great idea. Hope I don't botch it. So I preached and I, I stepped down on the floor and I said, does anybody need prayer? Is there anything in the sermon today that, that um, moves you, that, that spoke something to you? Which, by the way, I think that's how the Spirit speaks. When you hear Debbie up here saying something, and she says a lot of things, but there's one thing in particular that jumped out at you and got to you, that's Spirit speaking. When you find yourself crying for no reason, that's Spirit speaking. And that's not limited just to sermons here. When I'm in an empty theater the other night and I'm crying to a, a star is born, <laughs> Spirit speaking. Spirit speaking. Where was I going with that? Okay, oh yeah, at this church. So I say, I, anybody moved? And um, this is a church that is like, it's, I think like literally maybe like 80 to 90% LGBT. So many men and women who are, have been so disqualified, discredited, and dismissed by the church. So many people who have been bruised and bloodied up by beliefs who walk with these incredible wounds, and yet they show up in this place. And um, they came down, and uh, there's probably like eight or nine of them, and I went one by one. And I cannot put into words for you what that experience was like. To look my brother and my sister that I did not know in the eyes and say, you are loved, you are enough as is. It was stunningly beautiful. And it woke me up to remind me that this is what it's all about. This is why we do with this thing. Spirituality is the, the practice of finding our way back home. It's these beautiful moments. They show us that you're on the right road. Just keep walking. Don't let fear make you turn back. And so I went one by one. 
to each of these people. And then there was a person who was shorter standing behind the person. So obviously I did botch it, didn't see them first time through. So I'm about to go back to my seat and this lady who is older, like, I won't put a number on it actually. Thank you. I've made that mistake before. But she came up to me and she goes, she goes, Pastor, you missed, missed me. And again, she had tears coming down her eyes. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. How proactively are you pursuing beauty in your life? How willing are you to let your day be hijacked by something that is gorgeous, to explore something that you will never have be able to possess, it has no utilitarian value to it. But it just reminds you that there is more than what we see in the material alone. Our five senses can capture so much, but then there is still something else out there. Will you pray with me? Jesus, Jesus, you are beautiful. You are our aesthetic. Uh, you are how we understand uh, what beauty looks like. God, I think about Marilyn Robinson's words in Gilead where she says that nothing true about God can be said from a posture of defense. Lord, remind us again and again that cross-shaped love, it speaks for itself. It doesn't need to defend anything. It needs to discover the beauty of what's here. It needs to be open and curious and led by love and not sourced in fear. Christ, grant us the courage to take the Magi's pilgrimage. God, will we pursue our lives moving towards a gift, holding hands as we go, just trying to see the beautiful stars along the way that lead us down this road. Christ, we are grateful. In Jesus' name, all God's children, we say together, amen. At the night before Jesus gives up his life, he sits down at a table with his friends, and he has these basic elements that are a part of every meal, commonplace, bread and wine. And he reminds us that this is really what it's all about. This is what the religious experience is all about. Religious experience is not about some emotional episode. If you want that, there are other ways you can go about that. That's not what that is. Religious experience is not about a specific experience. A religious experience is that which fundamentally transforms all of your experiences. It changes your taste buds. It makes you see the magic in the mundane, the infinite in the finite. And so he takes these common elements and he says, whenever you take these finite things, remember the infinite. Remember me. Remember what I was here for, the things that I did, the things that I said. Remember how beautiful this world is. Don't stop seeing it for what it is. He said, this is my body, broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. Now we look at it and we say it's just wine or in our case, Hawaiian punch or grape juice of sorts. But Jesus says, don't be fooled by what you see. There's actually much more here. Open yourself up. Look for the beauty where it's not immediately apparent. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Whenever you drink from it, remember me. 
And so here at the table, we take part in these common elements and we remind ourselves of the Christ who came, who showed us a better way to live beautiful lives, who is our aesthetic. And how we do it here is in the middle, once I move some of my magic materials to the side. Um, we have gluten-free elements. And then, what did, Maggie, what did you define the side ones? Gluten-full elements on the side. If your first time here, you take the bread and then you proceed to dip it in the cup and you come whenever you feel free. Before we do that though, can we stand together and say this ancient prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.